The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, welcome. Good to see you, LCC. Hope you are doing well. Hey, if you're new, my name is Kylam, lead pastor here at LCC in North Lakes. Really, really glad that you've joined us today. Uh, we are in a book called 2 Timothy. This is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing from a Roman prison to a young leader named Timothy. He's uh, about 30 years old and he's leading this young church. Uh, I don't know how old you are. Uh, if you're young, awesome for you. For some of us, we're getting on a little bit in age. But um, for those of us who have lived a little bit longer, uh, we remember being young. And this is not to knock you young people. Uh, but the reality is when you are young, uh, you, you lack wisdom. Uh, you, you don't uh, know how to think um, as long term as you might need to. You often just think about the moment. You're not thinking about the consequences. Um, I remember a time in 1995, I was 17. A bunch of my mates and I, we used to play basketball on a Friday night down at Orkinflower and then we'd come back to our mate's house named Adam. And on the way, we'd pick up a bunch of eggs from the local 7-Eleven. We'd go to the bush near the QE2 stadium. We'd hide sort of off the road that was all light and then we'd kind of hide up in the ledge and so you couldn't really see us. And as cars would go past, we'd step out, boof, 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 throw the eggs. Uh, and at the, end of, you know, at the end of the night, we sort of score points of who hit the most cars. And uh, it was, I mean, it was, we thought it was awesome. Uh, and some of you young people think this sounds awesome. Uh, however, uh, one particular night, uh, this one car, all four of us hit the same car and we were elated. We were like, yeah, high five and that was awesome, so good. Uh, however, this particular car decided to slam on its brakes and reverse back about 30 meters. And we're like, ah, that's not normal. And then four dudes open up, grown men, hop out of their, out of their uh, car, open the door, hop out of the car, open the boot. And we're like, this is not good. In the boot, bunch of golf clubs. These guys have been golfing all day. So as soon as we see the golf club, boom, we're out of there. We, we fly. Uh, all of us, we don't care about each other. We don't consider each other. We leave each other for dead and we just go. Uh, and we're running into dark, thick bush. So we cannot see where we're going and we are just sprinting head down and we are running for our lives, leaving each other for dead and just like whoever gets caught gets caught. Um, and I remember I kind of hid behind this tree, hid under a bunch of leaves and I was throwing stuff on top of me so I could hide. And uh, it's probably one of the first times I actually prayed uh, to God in my life. Uh, and I remember just these guys, they spent maybe five or ten minutes looking for us and they got their golf clubs and they were kind of swinging them through. You could hear all the leaves and the branches getting hit and they'd just be like, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. And I mean, we, we, we were packing it. Um, and we, we were foolish, right? We, we had not considered uh, the ramifications of our actions. We hadn't considered the danger that we could be uh, putting a car and families in. Uh, we didn't care. We can only think about the moment. And that's what you do when you're a young teenager. Uh, and this is kind of what's going on in this particular part of the story. Um, Paul is an older leader. He is the mentor of Timothy, and he wants to help Timothy to consider the consequences of what is happening in his church. And he wants to encourage him on how to think ahead, how to consider what is happening and what is needed. Now in a church, there's, there's many different ways to categorize different groups of people, but I think what we see here is there are really three types of people. There are those, if you want to think about it like this, that are the positives of the church. 
These are those that are the leaders. These are um, the ones that are elders, pastors, uh, leading life groups. Uh, they're the ones that are doing what Timothy was instructed to do last week, where he's passing the, the doctrine and the truth on to others who would then pass it on. These are the ones who are carrying the load of making disciples of the church, advancing the mission of the church, carrying the load and weight of the ministry and mission of the church. And in a church, there's not just positives and, and, and the leaders, there's also maybe a way to think about it is the neutrals. Uh, these are probably what most of us are, where we're just members of the church and we just want to continue growing in our faith. We're not necessarily leading a life group or leading a ministry, uh, but we're actively participating in our faith. We're a part of the covenant community. Uh, we want to grow. We're positive. Uh, we love Jesus. We, we love the book and we just want to be a part of the community. We're not quite at the stage of being a leader. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But at the end of the day, we're a positive still in a sense. Um, the Bible kind of uses the language of sort of shepherd and sheep. You know, it's another way to think about it. But then he's saying that there are these negatives. And these negatives um, are basically taking the neutrals and hurting their faith. You would have heard that when Shane read it, that they're, they're pulling some people even out of the faith. And so Paul is speaking to one of the main positives, Timothy, and the other positives, the other leaders to say, hey, listen, you need to do something about the negatives. Now, negatives can be different things. It can be just people who are gossips, people who are just constantly whinging or complaining. But in this particular case, these negatives are those who are teaching false doctrine, uh, untruths, that there's error that they're teaching. And so it's hurting the neutrals. It's hurting the sheep. It's pulling key good people who just want to grow in their faith away from faith. Paul, the apostle, actually said many years ago, to the elders of this church before Timothy arrived, that this is what would actually happen. In Acts 20, verse 27, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God to you. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So Paul is saying that there is this false doctrine. There is this negative uh, teaching that is coming into the church. And so he wants to encourage Timothy on what to do with it. And so what I want to do, I want to start with just addressing what the problem is. And then I want to look at the three things that Paul encourages Timothy and the church uh, around in terms of how to handle it. So what is the problem? Well, you would have seen in verse uh, 14, he says, remind them. Who's the them? That's these, these positive, these leaders. Remind those who are doing uh, the ministry and leading the teams and leading the groups. Um, remind them of these things, remind them of the teachings, remind them of the truth and charge them before God. This is, this is getting serious. Uh, not to quarrel about words. Uh, you'll see there um, that he, he goes on to say, but avoid irreverent babble in verse 16. Uh, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. So imagine with me that you're in a burning bush and in a burning building and someone yells out fire, fire, fire. Uh, how would you respond? 
would you sit there with a pile of your mates and debate about what the word fire means and what it was in the original languages? Um, would you debate around how fires are started? No. If you stay there and you talk about these things forever and ever and ever, you, you don't leave the building and you get burnt. And so he is saying to Timothy, hey, bud, don't get caught up in all the wordplay. This is what it means about uh, quarreling about words. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But it's a sense of they're, they're debating about these particular words and they're spending all this time. It's like, don't get caught up in all of that. He goes on to say, why? For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. And they are upsetting the faith of some. Now notice also at the end, in 24, it says that he is to patiently endure evil and to correct his opponents, but do it with gentleness, right? And so it's kind of like, what's he, what's he saying to do? Am I to correct this or am I to avoid it? Now some uh, commentaries have said that maybe there are multiple issues. So certain issues avoid... Um, and other issues, you know, sort of correct. Um, and I think that's probably somewhat right. I think he's sort of saying, listen, you need, as a young leader who's in their probably early 30s, you need wisdom and discernment to know what to avoid and when to go, when to actually address. Uh, he says this, that, that this is a reverent babble. It's foolish. It's ignorant. In other words, it's ridiculously clear that this is not true. You can't read the book and then come to that conclusion. You can't listen to what has been passed down and come to that conclusion. It ruins the hearers. That word ruins there is the Greek word katastrophe, where we get catastrophe, catastrophe from. It's, build, it's not building people up. It's destroying people and tearing down their faith, and it is spreading like gangrene. It's, it's, it's like a cancer. It's getting onto one cell and then it just is spreading. And so, Timothy, you, your leaders, the church, the, the, the sheep, you guys, you need to be discerning and you need to use wisdom. And so what is this false teaching? What is this cancerous teaching that is in the life of the church? Well, he said there that these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, are teaching that the resurrection already happened. The resurrection is absolutely crucial to the Christian faith, to the Christian worldview, it is central. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you don't have that, you don't have a gospel. If you don't have that, you don't have faith in Christianity. Christianity is centered on that. It's not the only thing, but it is the most important thing. Listen to the words of Paul, the apostle again, but this time writing to a church in Corinth. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, this is 1 Corinthians 15, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is the whole thing in which faith is built upon. And then he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the thing that is being passed on. And he says, um, he's basically going to summarize the Christian faith. And what uh, scholars say is that this is the earliest Christian creed. Uh, there is a, a theory out there that, that the Christian doctrines are something that have been switched and changed and you know, so many thousands of uh, hundreds of years later, it kind of got rewritten. Um, but this is a, a creed which basically happens, they say somewhere between three months after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and about a year and a half that this creed started to be formed. That's the earliest uh, records they can find of anything of the Christian faith is this particular creed. What is it? This is what it all hinges on, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. 
Paul is saying, if the resurrection doesn't happen, there is no faith. And if there is no faith, there is no forgiveness of sins. Listen to what he says uh, a little bit later where he says uh, in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no faith. No resurrection, no forgiveness of sins. We're all in trouble. Even in this letter, uh, he started in verse 10, where he says, uh, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. And verse 10, and which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality. How? Through the resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 8, Shane uh, preached this last week. Give him some love on the, ch- on the chat there. He did a great job. But verse 8 says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And then verse 11, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. What Paul has been teaching is that as Christ died, those of us who place our faith in Christ, we in a sense, died with him. And as he rose again, we, have, we are basically given new life in Jesus Christ and we will rise again with him. But what these teachers are saying is that this has already happened. In other words, not that Jesus has already resurrected. That, that kind of makes sense. What, what they're saying is, no, this has already happened because the resurrection is only in that spiritual sense. It is a metaphor. It's not literal. It's not a literal physical rising from the dead of Jesus, nor is it a future physical rising of the dead that you and I will experience when we go to be with Jesus. And Paul simply says that this is not true. Now, in the backdrop of this particular culture is Greek thought. Now, if you know a little bit of your philosophy, uh, you've got Socrates, you've got Plato, you've got the Stoics, then you've got the Epicureans. Um, Platonism is basically what's in the backdrop. And within Platonism, what they do is they kind of, they make a dichotomy between the immaterial and the material. They say that uh, the person uh, is spirit and flesh, but the spirit is the ultimate and the flesh is what we are to avoid. It is the weakness. It is is what we want to get through. And so what often, uh, what Uh, Socrates and uh, what Plato basically do is they say the way that you get to sort of this spiritual enlightenment is through the mind, so it's through philosophy. And so teach people enough, inform them enough, and eventually they'll break away from their physical body and become this super spirit being. And what the Bible says is that's just not true. Uh, You may have heard the saying, and it's a a very dumb saying, uh, but that we are not physical bodies having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual bodies having a physical experience. That's not true. We are not to make a dichotomy between these two things. The human is both soul and body. That's all the way through the book. If you read 1 Corinthians over and over and over again, Paul says that our bodies matter to God and our souls matter to God. That the the human is both immaterial and material and God wants both. When God made the human, And he made us in flesh in the beginning of the story in the garden. It was declared good. God does not want to do away with the flesh. So when Jesus comes, he's redeeming both the soul and the body. 
So it's absolutely crucial to the Christian faith that Jesus not only come, wrap himself in flesh and die in flesh, but that he rise again in flesh because he is not only redeeming the soul and the immaterial part of what it means to be human, but he is also coming to redeem all things, the Bible says in Colossians. So he's going to redeem and restore the entire world, the entire planet and the human body. And this is so crucial because if you say that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead in physical form, then it means we will not really rise from the dead. And therefore, what happens later? The end of your theology matters. This means that Jesus cannot be our mediator. For Jesus, it says he came and he became human. He became man. Why? Because he is going to mediate between God and man. And to do that, he must be both. He must sit there as both human and both divine. And so this is absolutely crucial to the Christian story. Not only that, but the Christian story, the Christian worldview has the highest view of the human body. Because we see that God made it and God wants to redeem it. We are not trying to do away with our physical bodies. Rather, we are seeing them as objects and ways to worship God. Just this week, we had a Zoom meeting with our Acts 29 leaders across um, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and we spent some time with Sam Albury. And he's written out uh, a new book that's coming out around uh, what God has to say about our bodies. And it was really, really fascinating, super helpful stuff. But one of the things that he says is that we're not accidental. Everything God did was intentional, and therefore our bodies are not incidental. They matter. And we know this if we just ask anyone whose body is struggling or whose body has experienced suffering. It matters. Jesus isn't just interested in our souls. Jesus is interested in our bodies and has come to redeem our bodies. Now, this is good news, again, for those of us who are a little bit older, because what this, this tells us, what, where there is good news, is that basically our best physical lives is still ahead of us. Our physical future is still in front of us because we will be raised like Jesus in the flesh, and we will have new bodies, whole bodies. Uh, one story that, that Sam said, he, he met this lady who uh, has no legs, and uh, they were discussing about the importance of bodies and what the new bodies can look like in heaven. And she said, I cannot wait till I can get legs in the new heavens and new earths. The first thing I will do is I will kneel before my king with those legs. That's just cool. So we have this teaching. We have this false doctrine. It really matters to Paul. And what does Paul say to Timothy to help him, the church, the leaders, and the people to work through this issue? Well, he gives three metaphors. And they really build upon each other. The first is an approved worker. The second is an honorable vessel. And the third is the Lord's servant. So number one, how do we handle this? Well, first of all, become an approved worker knowing the Bible. This is, this is what he says. He says, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The best way to deal with false doctrine, false teaching, is to know the true teaching. The truth. And how do you do that? You read the book. You, you study the book. You get into the book. Um, he says, do your best. This is the idea to pursue with zeal and fervor, with purpose and passion. Present yourselves to God 
as one approved. We're going to come back to this. That essentially just means the same as what we're going to look at at the end, to be the Lord's servant, that we serve an audience of one. But then he says, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. This is the idea of focus on your competency. Grow in your understanding and training of the Bible. Know it. Rather than spending all of your time debating Philetus and Hymenaeus, uh, yeah, Philetus and Hymenaeus, uh, rather than sitting there and debating and word picking and uh, get into the book, all the time you spend over there, you're not learning, you're not growing in your competence. And so spend time in the book. And look what it says about Hymenaeus and Philetus. It says, they have swerved from the truth, okay? But Timothy is to rightly handle the word of truth. Now, you might remember Philegius and Hermogenes in chapter one. Those guys were, were hate the player. Uh, they, they didn't like Paul. It says those in Asia sort of swerved away from Paul. These guys don't just hate the player, they hate the game. They don't love the truth. They are swerving from the truth. Timothy is to rightly handle the truth. God's word is a sword for the soldier. God's word is a seed to the farmer. God's word is an arrow to the athlete and archer. And here in this example, the worker, the laborer, God's word is the machinery. It's the tools that you have that build straight paths for people. The good worker cuts a straight path. That's what it rightly handling means. It means he is cutting a straight path. He's making it clear to go from A to B. This is how we get there. The bad worker cuts a crooked path. Now, this is important because what it means is they both start off looking the same. This is why it's, people get caught up in it because it looks right, it sounds right, it smells right, but at some point it leads to the wrong way. And look at what he says. He says, work hard at this. Become competent. Know the book. Put your emphasis on yourself and your competency to know the book. Now, how do you determine uh, false and true doctrine? Um, Luke Kite's going to look at some of this next week, but I just want to give you one thing here. Um, one way I think that is helpful is ask the question, what is the means and what is the end? What is the means and what is the end? Prosperity, health and wealth gospel. What's the end? Health. Wealth. What is the means? God. Jesus. Jesus is the means to get to the ultimate end. The ultimate goal of the health and wealth gospel is to be well, to be whole, and to be wealthy, to have stuff, to have houses, to have cars. When you sit back and go, hey, what is, what is the ends and what is the means? You go, hang on, Jesus, Jesus is not the end. He's the means to a different end. False doctrine, false truth. So one of the ways that we ask this is, what is this leading to? And in this case, it says that this is leading to ungodliness. Now, what happens when you invest your energies into studying the book, Timothy? What happens, church, when we read the book, when we get into the book, when we, when we study the book, when we um, have the book playing through our Bible apps? What happens? Well, verse 19, you get a firm foundation. It says, 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows whose are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. When you read the book, when you, when you get into the truth, you become firm. You become straight. You, you, you start living a life on a firm foundation where you are not shaken. I love this. This is encouraging. Uh, when we are going through times of difficulty, Timothy's experiencing that uh, through false doctrine. We're experiencing it now through a pandemic. But no matter what it is, when you are experiencing difficulty, get in the book. 
it gives you security, it gives you foundation, and you become secure. This is not saying to Timothy that he, he doesn't have to take responsibility, that he doesn't have to work hard. Clearly he does. He says that he is to work. He is to be a worker. He's supposed to do his job. But as he does that job, he is trusting in the foundation. This is such an encouragement. Timothy, the church is, does not rise and fall on you. I'm asking you to do this, but remember the church is built by Jesus Christ and he promises that it will prevail. So trust me while you do your work. I will do my work as you do your work. It is a firm foundation. I know who are mine. You don't have to go chasing Philetus. You don't have to go chasing Hermogenes. You don't have to go chasing all of these people. Um, you, you can trust me that I will, I will do what I need to do. You get on with learning the word and teaching others the word. Such an encouragement. So number one is be a worker who knows the Bible. Number two, become an honorable vessel with godly character. So what is needed? You want to grow in competency and you want to grow in character. The Bible always puts these two together. Our culture says competency over character. Bible does not say that. Bible says, no, no, we need competency, but we can never allow competency to outdo our character. Character must always be front and center. And so he says, uh, now in a great house, there are only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So Timothy, so leaders, so church, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, most often when Paul uses the term passions or youthful passions, he's using it and referring to sexual immorality and sexual temptation. Uh, but that is uh, not the case in this particular context. He's not saying, uh, in that context, what he's saying is um, in terms of prideful temptation, not necessarily sexual. So in uh, the book First Timothy, he, he encourages Timothy to not be timid because he's young. Timothy, in your youthfulness, um, don't be timid. Don't, don't apologize for what the Bible says. Uh, you need to lead. However, here in 2 Timothy, you might remember in, in chapter 1, he reminds him that he does not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. But what he's saying here is, hey, in your youthfulness, don't be timid. Uh, sorry, in your youthfulness, don't be timid. And in your youthfulness, don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't, don't let your insecurity lead you to have to be heard, to have to be seen, to sound like and look like the smartest person in the room. You'll always notice with, with young leaders that often they talk a lot. They, they need to be center of attention. This, this has often been me. I need to make sure people know that I know. Use big words. Uh, say cool things. It's immaturity. Timothy, you, you, you don't have to do that. Timothy, be, be a zealous young leader. But channel your, your passion. Channel that in an honorable way. This idea of vessels is a utensil in a home. Uh, think of it like uh, you're chopping up um, raw chicken on a, on a chopping board. You put the chopping board in the sink um, and then you're going to get out and you want to chop up the, the vegetables and the, or the fruit. Um, you don't bring that dirty, uncleaned chopping board back out and reuse it. Uh, it needs to be cleaned first before you would use it. Most of us would actually have different types of chopping boards for different types of things. I get the analogy doesn't fully work, but you get the point. He's saying, listen, God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. 
Rather than just focusing on all the arguments and putting out all the fires, don't, don't do that to the extent that you actually neglect taking time to be in his word, in the book, in the Bible, and to grow in your character. Focus on your character with your zeal, with your competency, add character. In the same way that you and I are more likely to use clean utensils, so with God. And with God, competency must be matched with character. This is all the way through the Bible. God is constantly trying to clean his people up and make them holy and righteous. And that is because the greatest apologetic, greatest defense of Jesus being resurrected is Jesus' people living like Jesus is resurrected. We can have all the words to say, but if we don't have the character and the actions to back up those words, people don't listen. So, how do we become cleansed? Well, we confess our sins, is what the Bible tells us, that we repent and we ask for forgiveness, and God promises through Jesus that he will wipe us clean. Church, I just want to throw out, how's our character? How's our Bible? How's our godliness? Uh, What do we like on a Sunday? What do we like on a Monday? What do we like at church? With all the Christian and the worship, what are we like in the workplace and at the uni? What are we like on a Friday night? Uh, one of the things I love about this particular passage is you'll notice that there's this kind of this, this line there for a return for these guys. Notice it says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. This is almost like a, a passive aggressive. It's like a passive positive. It's like, hey, to these, to these guys, hey, there's a chance here that if you would turn back to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, he will cleanse you. And you are never too late to be used by God. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done. What matters is, did you turn to Jesus? And Jesus makes us clean like that. We don't have to work our way back up to God's good books before he'll use us. We just need to turn back to Jesus and he promises that he will use us. And this is where we get to the third point. Become the Lord's servant for the Lord's mission. Verse 23 says, Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God perhaps may re- grant them repentance. Is the, is the, I, I feel like he's kind of almost calling out these guys in a positive way. Say, guys, there's a chance here. Turn back to Jesus, the resurrected Lord, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. That, that come to their senses, it's this picture of they were drunk, and they've kind of come out of their drunken state, and they're now sobering up to the truth after being captured by him to do his will. Remember, earlier it said, do your, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. This is the idea that um, we serve an audience of one. In, in a culture uh, which is um, putting pressure on Christians in our, in our culture, we haven't experienced this a lot before, but we're starting to get a lot of cultural pressure about what we believe and what we hold to. Uh, there are going to be words said about us. There are going to be things, slander, things that will be said and done about us. And we need to remember who we serve. We serve an audience of one. We live this life for one person. His name is Jesus who gave his life for us. And we will ultimately give a, an account of our life to one and his name is Jesus. 
And so Paul is encouraging him, hey, remember who you remember who you serve. You serve the Lord, the one who died for you, the one who was buried, and the one who was raised for you. Serve him, his mission, his way, which sees people repent and come back to Jesus. I remember a quote, I can't remember who said it, uh, but it stuck with me in my earlier years of Christian faith. It says, if you desire the praise of, of man, people, you will serve man because you fear man and you will always serve what you fear. I remember sitting there, I, I struggled early on in my Christian faith to be bold. I struggled early on because I was insecure and I needed the approval of people. And still to this day, I, I, I get into this. I, I need the approval of people. And he says, hey, remember whose approval you need. It's Jesus. And you've already got it. So no matter what crowd is around you, look up to heaven and see the risen Savior smiling upon you, approving you, Go and do his work. Go and do his bidding. Where is Paul? Paul is in jail, right? He's been deplatformed. He's been canceled by the culture. He is not able to, to speak and do the ministry in the way that he wants. And yet all he is about is the work of Jesus. And he's saying to Timothy, hey, don't worry about what happens to you in this life. Think about the life to come. The one that the resurrected Jesus in physical form says exists that we will one day give an account and then we will live for eternity with him. So think about your maker. Think about the Lord. And therefore serve his mission, but serve it in his way. I love this. He says, be kind, be gentle, be patient. Timothy, have a sharp mind, but make sure you have a warm heart. There is nothing worse than sharp minds with cold hearts or warm hearts with dull minds. God says, I want both. I want sharp minds who know the book, who know their doctrine, who know the truth, but also have warm hearts. They are like Jesus who came in truth and grace. This is what he is saying. Timothy, I'm not saying sit idly by. I'm not saying just like back off and don't know what you're talking about. What I am saying is be wise, be discerning. When you need to speak in and correct, do so. Okay, but when you do, do it with the tone of Jesus. Do it with the fragrance of Jesus, which is kind, gentle, and patient. The goal is not to win arguments. The goal is to win people, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Church, God wants sharp minds. He wants warm hearts. And he wants ready hands. We are to tell people about Jesus. We are to do so with love and grace and mercy because that has been extended to us. May we, like Timothy and this church, become workers approved, knowing their Bible, that we may become honorable vessels that can be used by God because godly character is in us. And may we be the Lord's servant, doing the Lord's bidding in the Lord's why? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. 
but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.